Good morning. What a gift we have in our music ministry, right? Beautiful music today. Thank you to, yes. Thank you to Tom and to Jay and to our soloist, Brandon. What a beautiful, amazing grace moment. Um, One that, as Scott said, if you weren't awake, now you are. But what a blessing we have to come together on this Independence Weekend and celebrate Jesus together freely as a family of faith. Um, For those who don't know me, I'm Becky Pritchard, one of the associate pastors on staff here at First Pres. It's such a blessing for me to be with you all today. As many of you all know, First Presbyterian Church hosted Vacation Bible School a little over a week ago, and we had such an amazing week. I see some of you in here that participated either as children participants or teens or adult volunteers. We had over 120 students here. We had over 60 adults and teenagers volunteering, and the church just came to life. And it's so fun. It really is one of, I say this every year, but it is my favorite week of the year. And it's not just because I used to be the children's director. It's not because I'm the CE pastor. But it truly is one of the most amazing weeks to see God at work. Over half of the children that participated are not current, not regular FPC attenders. It is one of the biggest outreaches we do at First Presbyterian Church. It's a way to meet kids with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I want to give a huge thank you to all of our volunteers, to our Children's Ministry Committee, and specifically to Rosalind Miller, who's our Director of Children's Ministry. Today we're going to hear a little bit more about VBS. We are going to study the same passage that our children studied last week. We're going to look at a passage that talks about freedom, a passage that talks about reconciliation, And freedom from sin, freedom from estrangement. We're going to look at a passage in Genesis. So I invite you to open to uh, Genesis chapter 45. Now, I'll tell you a little bit more about VBS. The theme for the week was monumental. We talked all about God's amazing, humongous, radical love for all of his people, eternal hope for you and me. We talked about how God is in charge, how God is surprising the way that he works in our lives and the lives of the people that we read about in scripture. This last week provided a foundation for students, for kids to know about Jesus so that when they encounter things in their lives, they have a foundation of which to draw from from scripture so that they might live in a way that is honoring to God. Monumental love. Now, the only beef that I have with VBS is that I cannot get the songs out of my head. Anybody in here agree with me? Yes? We have been listening to the, no, no. Yes, we have been listening to the songs on repeat since we got the CD, and we will listen to them for 351 days until we get our new CD next summer. My children are obsessed, and I cannot get the music out of my head. But honestly, there are worse worse things to have repetitively in your head. Monumental love, eternal hope for you and me. What a great message. God is in charge. So I invite you to open to Genesis chapter 45. Follow along with me starting in verse 4. We'll read through verse 8 and then we'll jump down to verses 14 and 15. Hear the word of the Lord. So Joseph said to his brothers, come near to me, please. And they came near. 
And he said, I am your brother, Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these last two years, and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and a lord of all this house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. And then we jump down to verses 14 and 15. Then he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept. And Benjamin wept upon his neck. And he kissed all his brothers and wept upon them. After that, his brothers talked with him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be holy and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our Redeemer. Amen. So we pick up here in Genesis 45, near to the end of Joseph's story as it's told in Genesis. This passage is the culmination of much that has happened between Joseph and his brothers throughout Genesis, and it is really the dramatic climax where estranged brothers are standing face to face with each other after 20 year, 21 years of separation. Things could either go really, really well or very, very badly. So we stand at this climax. A few things we're gonna see in this passage. God's providence and sovereignty. Joseph's faithfulness to God through every trial he went through on his journey. And a beautiful picture of reconciliation. A reconciliation between family members that was not deserved or earned, but free. This is also a great passage for us to read today as we look towards celebrating Independence Day tomorrow. On the 4th of July, we're reminded of the freedoms we celebrate as Americans. We can worship here together freely. But even more importantly, this passage of Scripture reminds us that when we follow God, when we know Jesus as Savior, that we enjoy a freedom far greater than our freedom as Americans. God's plan and promises are true, and his love is monumental. Through Jesus, we have freedom from sin. And what a great day to celebrate at the Lord's table together, receiving his grace as we are freed. We're reconciled to God and in right relationship with him and with one another. So as we jump into the passage, I'm going to give a very quick synopsis, overview, summary of what has happened to Joseph up until this point. Kind of like when you watch a TV series and they say, last week on whatever show you're watching, we're going to say previously in Joseph's life, and we're going to jump into a one-minute recap, very quick. If you haven't already read the story of Joseph from Genesis, I invite you to do that. It will not take you very long. It's very interesting, dramatic. It's almost like a soap opera. Or you can pull aside one of our children who were here during VBS and ask them to tell you about the story of Joseph, right? You guys learned it. So here we go, previously in the life of Joseph. Joseph was the favorite son of Jacob. He had 11 brothers. Jacob, his dad, loved Joseph so much that he gave him a coat of many colors. Very good, thank you. Uh, many of you have read this, I can tell. Um, this made Joseph's brothers very, 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 very jealous. 
In addition to that, Joseph had a dream when he was a young boy that all of his brothers would bow down to him and that he would rule over his brothers one day. When he told this dream to his brothers, they were not very happy. If they weren't already jealous, they were even more so jealous, very angry, and they didn't like the idea of them bowing down to their younger brother. How could that be? They could not stand him. Anyone ever had a brother like that? You don't have to raise your hand. But seriously, sibling rivalry at its finest, it can be pretty fierce. The jealousy, the competition, anger. So out of their jealousy and anger, the brothers plotted to kill their brother Joseph. But one of the brothers, Reuben, thought better of it, and he saved him, saying, let's not kill him, let's just throw him into a pit, and let's make it look to our father Jacob like he's dead. So kind of color, that color, that coat of many colors, put some blood on it, make it look like he's been killed. But then they had an opportunity to sell him into slavery. So the Midianites popped up, they were able to sell their brother for 20 shekels of silver, and gone he was off to Egypt as a slave. Joseph was out of their lives for good, or so they thought. Now that is a dysfunctional family. I know we all think that our family is the worst, mine is the most dysfunctional, we have the most issues around the Thanksgiving table. That's pretty bad though. That's never happened in my life. No one's ever sold me into slavery. Thank you, brother, for not doing that. So we may have sibling rivalry in our homes, but it it's a lot. This is pretty far gone. This anger and jealousy and hatred is pretty bad. Kids, do any of you ever want to sell your siblings into slavery? If you do, don't do it. That's not a good idea. I wouldn't recommend it. As a parent of siblings, of two children, I try to remember this when I break up fights with them. Could be worse. It's not so bad. I know that we think our families are the worst, but even in Scripture... These families that God used for his glory were sinful people, broken, angry, full of pride and selfishness, in need of forgiveness. The story continues in Genesis chapters 39 to 41 about Joseph in Egypt. He's a slave. He was falsely accused of a crime and unjustly imprisoned. You can read more about that. But the Lord was with him the entire time. While in prison, Joseph had the opportunity to interpret dreams of some of the fellow prisoners and of the Pharaoh, the man in charge. Through his dream interpretation, Joseph predicts seven years of famine following seven years of plenty of food. Because of this interpretation, Pharaoh raises Joseph out of prison, puts him in a place of power in Egypt to help them through the impending famine. Okay, that was your synopsis. So this all leads to the point in Scripture, chapter 45, where we find ourselves today. Joseph is standing face to face with his brothers. Because of this, this severe fam famine, Jacob, the father, had sent the brothers to Egypt to get more food, to buy more food, buy more food. Jacob needed help. So they wind up, the brothers, smack dab in front of Joseph. Joseph recognized them. He knew that they were his brothers, but the brothers did not recognize Joseph. It had been 21 years. He looked very different. He was cleaned up. He looked like an Egyptian. He was in a place of authority in Egypt that was not who they knew their brother to be. So over the next couple of years, Joseph made his brothers jump through a couple of hoops back and forth to Canaan. 
to get the food that they so desperately needed until Joseph couldn't stand it any longer. And in our passage today, we see that Joseph couldn't control himself anymore. He cries out and he reveals to his brothers his true identity, that he is Joseph. He is their brother. Let's pause right here for just a moment. Imagine how the brothers must have felt. The guilt, the shame, the fear. They had not known for all these years if their brother was dead or alive. They likely carried guilt for selling him into slavery. They were probably astonished to see him again, especially in Egypt and especially in a place of authority. Imagine that overwhelming guilt. You know when you've done something wrong and you stand face to face with the person that you've harmed. Stomach in knots, the fear of anticipation of what their brother was, was going to do to them, might do to them. And what is the first thing that Joseph says to them? Verse 5, And now, do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. He immediately addresses the elephant in the room. It's as if he read their minds, saw the guilt written all over, the face, all over their faces, and he wanted to assuage their guilt immediately. Do not be distressed or angry with yourselves. Joseph has every opportunity to punish his brothers, to offer payback, revenge for what they did to him, to show them his anger in a powerful way because he has authority. They're hungry. He has food and they don't. And in all reality, if I'm being honest, I think that's what I would do. I think if I were Joseph, I'd be ready to get mad at my brothers, show them how bitter and resentful I've been for being in slavery and in prison, give them a little taste of what they put me through. Either that or I would want to cut off relationship with them altogether, ignore that they were there, not acknowledge that they were my brothers, pretend that they're not a part of my life, so angry and resentful. Cut them out. But instead, Joseph tells them not to be angry with themselves. Why does he say this? He continues, For God sent me before you to preserve life. He doesn't punish his brothers because he acknowledges that God sent him into this season in Egypt for a very specific purpose. He repeats this again in verse 7 saying, and God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. And again in verse 8, so it was not you who sent me here, but God. The sovereignty of God. That means that God's will has been done in Joseph's life. Joseph isn't making this about what the brothers did. Instead, he's making this about what God has done. He's showing grace to his brothers for what they did to him because he has so much faith in God that God was the one that brought him to where he is, that put him through these trials for a specific plan and a a purpose. Through slavery and imprisonment, Joseph trusted God. Gosh, in our lives, how easy is it for us to blame others and forget that God is working in the midst of our pain and our circumstances? We love to blame that it's their fault or his fault, her fault, whatever it is, or our fault. We blame ourselves. 
And sometimes that's true. God work, God's sovereignty works with human purpose and plan, and God's purpose always wins. After all these years, Joseph could have harbored resentment, anger, and bitterness towards his brothers, but instead he displayed his faith in God, and he offered freedom to his brothers from their guilt. And even more than that, he invites them to come live with him in Egypt. He's committing to provide for them and his father throughout this famine. Joseph has left what happened between them in the past. He's ready to move on to a new future with them. And then those last two verses we read, verses 14 and 15, we see Joseph physically display this reconciliation with his brothers when he hugs them and he weeps kissing all of them, talking with them, wanting a relationship with them. This is a physical sign of the forgiveness he gives them and his joy in reconciliation. We as parents, sometimes when we make our kids hug after they fought, we say, say you're sorry, say you're sorry, hug, and they're like, you know, kind of give a little pat-pat hug. They don't want to do it, they're refusing, they, they don't want to be close to the person that they've just been angry with. But with Joseph, this was a genuine show of affection, of love and of joy, being in right relationship with his brothers, weeping as the old has fallen away and they enjoy this new relationship together. This was a hug full of freedom, full of reconciliation. God's plan is so amazing. God saved Joseph for many reasons and used his life in many ways. God is sovereign. He has a plan and a purpose. God worked through Joseph to interpret the dream of Pharaoh, which led them to surviving a harsh famine, which led him to a place of power, to preserve life. But not only in that moment, God had used Joseph for his bigger redemption story. As we know, scripture from Genesis all the way to Revelation is God's story. It's a whole narrative linked together of redemption. After this, the family of Jacob came into Egypt, which led to years later the Israelite people growing and increasing in number and then led to their oppression, so on and so on. We see God saving his chosen people from the slavery of Egypt into the wilderness and then into the promised land, all part of God's plan. Had Joseph not gone to Egypt, none of this might have happened. God had a plan. So all that God did through Joseph was part of the bigger plan, and Joseph had faith in that bigger plan. He's celebrating the providence of God in all of his life through everything that he's been through. This passage helps us to see reconciliation in the best form. Joseph was physically freed from slavery and imprisonment. And through his faith in God, he was able to offer freedom to his brothers too. When we think about freedom, many of us really don't have a great idea of what that means because many of us have never lived under oppression or in captivity. Joseph knew what it was like to be a slave and a prisoner. He knew the fear and hopelessness of being owned by someone else and being completely at their mercy. And yet he remained faithful to God. God had mercy on Joseph and had a plan for his life. As we come to this table today, we celebrate God's grace, God's plan for redemption through Jesus Christ. We have true freedom in Christ because of God's monumental love for us. 
This freedom from Christ is far greater than any freedom we've experienced on this earth. It means reconciliation. It means eternal life. We don't have to be estranged from God like Joseph was from his brothers for all those years. Jesus paid the ultimate sacrifice so that we might have right relationship, be reconciled to him through Jesus. We no longer have to live separate from God. Jesus died the death that we deserve so that we might be free. All part of God's plan. We're forgiven washed clean, reconciled, and redeemed. So as we prepare to come to the table today, let us examine our own hearts and see if we're carrying any bitterness, any resentment, any anger towards anyone in our lives. Joseph could have been bitter. He could have turned his back on his brothers, yet he trusted that God was in charge. Joseph was able to be free and full of grace with his brothers rather than holding on to his anger because he trusted God's providence. Where do you need to seek forgiveness from a sibling or a parent or a friend or a coworker? Where do you need to offer forgiveness? Letting go of the bitterness that you might be holding on to. I know I have some work to do in my own life. As we continue to be transformed by the Holy Spirit, we admit our sinfulness. And we receive grace and forgiveness. Jesus invites us to this table to receive his grace. We don't earn a spot at this table. We don't deserve a spot at this table. But as we were reminded during Vacation Bible School and throughout Scripture, God's love is big enough for all of us. It's eternal hope for you and for me. It's so big, he loves us even while we are sinners. And he invites us to this table. Let us let go of what's holding us back from one another and from God. Let us release our sins to him. Do you trust? Do you trust God who loves you this much? Do you trust that God will make all things good and right and new? Do you trust that God will do the work of reconciliation when it seems absolutely impossible to our human minds? Do you trust that God can change your heart and the hearts of those in your life? Friends, you're invited to this table today because of God's great love for you. God is in charge as we come to this joyful feast of the people of God. According to Luke at the end of his gospel, when our risen Lord served as host while at table with his disciples, he took the bread and he blessed it and he broke it. And he gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him. Jesus is host at our table today. This is the Lord's table. He invites all those who follow him as Lord and Savior to come, to share in the feast. Let us pray. We give you thanks and praise, O sovereign God of love. How wonderful is the work of your hands. We give you thanks and praise, O God, for you alone do great wonders by your sovereign love. You alone created the heavens and spread out the earth above the waters, the great lights that fill the sky, the sun to rule the day, the moon, 
and stars to rule the night. When sin had scarred the world, you entered into covenant to renew the whole creation. As a mother tenderly gathers her children, as a father joyfully welcomes his own, you embraced a people as your own and filled them with a longing in their hearts for a steadfast love that would set them free and for a peace that would last and for a justice that would never fail. Through countless generations, your people hungered for the bread of freedom. From them, you raised up Jesus Christ, your son, by your grace, the living bread, in whom ancient hungers are satisfied and people are set free. Jesus healed the sick, though he himself would suffer on the cross. He offered eternal life to sinners, though death would hunt him down. But with a monumental love stronger than death, He opened wide his arms and surrendered his spirit. Death could not bind him. For you raised him up in glory and exalted him as king of kings and lord of lords. O Lord God, we give you thanks for the freedom we will celebrate tomorrow on July the 4th. We remember and give thanks for the women and men in the armed forces who gave their lives so that we might be free today to be here in this worship service now. We pray today, O God of love, for those people who are not free. We pray for people who are bound by sickness, for those people who are bound by mental illness, for those people who are bound by hunger or homelessness, for those people who are bound in prison, for those people who are bound by the death of a loved one in grief, for couples who are bound by marital conflict, for people who are bound by unemployment, and for people who are bound up by loneliness. Eternal God, send your Holy Spirit now to move over us and over these earthly gifts of this bread and this cup that our sharing of them may be for us the communion of the body and blood of Christ and that we may become one in him and ready to share his love with your world with hearts full of his joy. We pray this prayer in the strong and saving name of the one who set us all free, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Amen. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread, and after giving thanks, he broke it. And he said, take, eat, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And after supper, he took the cup. And he said, this cup is the new covenant poured out in my blood for the forgiveness of sins. Do this to remember me. Friends, every time we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. And friends, he is coming again. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty again. These are the gifts of God for the people of God. Come, for the table is ready.